Friends, if you would, please open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then also from Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. If you have your Bible, please open it. If you don't, you may open the Pew Bible and turn it to page 836 and 844. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And from Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. Now as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a man who liked to go fishing. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you are someone like that. And this man loved to fish. And not only did he enjoy it, but he was incredibly successful at it. Not just a little successful, but amazingly successful, so that every time he went fishing, he came back with a huge catch. And not just many fish, but big fish, right? Every good fisherman has a a fishing story about the big one. Well, this guy comes back every time with a boatload of big fish. Now, it happens that the man's brother-in-law is a game warden. And the game warden brother-in-law was always curious about how his brother-in-law had always come back with so many big fish. And so he he had been around the water enough to know that even the best fishermen didn't come home with that many big fish all the time. And so he was curious and he thought, I know, I'll get myself invited on a fishing trip and see just how he does it. So he gets himself invited and on the appointed morning he shows up at the fisherman's house. It's six o'clock, it's early, but already the trailer is hooked up to the truck. Already things are being made ready to go. But he notices something strange. There's no fishing rods. There's no tackle boxes. There's no lures. There's not even a can of worms. The only thing he sees the fishermen load into the cab of the truck are some food and and some drink and some sunscreen and, and a little black leather bag. Well, he doesn't ask any questions. He decides he'll he'll be patient and go along for the ride and just see what the day will bring. And so they drive to the lake and they launch the boat and immediately the fisherman speeds out into the middle of the lake and he drops the anchor right there. Now friends, I don't know about you, I'm no expert fisherman, but even I know you don't fish from the middle of the lake, right? You go around to the outside edges where there are tree branches hanging over or there's pilings buried under the water. But the game warden, with all of those questions rattling in his mind, he doesn't say anything, he decides he'll just... Wait and see what the morning will bring. And so after several minutes of sitting there, the fisherman reaches down into his black leather bag and he pulls out a stick of dynamite. And he lights the dynamite 
and he throws it into the lake. And a few moments later, there's this muffled explosion. And all of a sudden, hundreds of fish begin to float to the surface of the water. Now, meanwhile, the game warden cannot believe what he is witnessing as he sits there in the boat with his brother-in-law, and he begins to rattle off to him all of the rules and regulations that prevent him from doing exactly what he did. He tells him in no uncertain terms, it is never okay to throw dynamite into the lake. That is not okay by fishing standards. That's not just not good common sense at all. But the fisherman, he just sits there with a twinkle in his eye. And as the game warden goes on and on and on, the fisherman reaches down into his black leather bag and he pulls out another stick of dynamite. And he lights it. And he throws it onto the lap of the game warden. And he looks at his game warden brother-in-law and he says, well... Are you just going to sit there, or are you going to fish? Timberlake United Methodist Church, I want to suggest to you that this is the question God is asking us today. Bishop Mark Webb from New York told this story at annual conference. A couple of you got to hear it, uh, but it certainly bears repeating. It's a good story, and I like it so very much because it's a parable of the church. This story is a parable of the church. We are the game warden sitting in the boat, and our Lord Jesus, who, by the way, calls people to fish for men, has tossed into our laps something incredibly powerful, something much more powerful than a stick of dynamite. In fact, it is the most powerful gift ever conceived. It is the spirit-infused gospel of Christ. And now we have to decide what to do with it. Welcome to week two in our Unleashed sermon series. All this month we are talking about what happens when the Holy Spirit is unleashed on the people of God. And so go with me, if you will, back to that first Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, just after Jesus had ascended to return and sit at the right hand of God the Father. All the believers were gathered in one place, and there came from heaven the sound of the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole place where they were gathered. And there was fire dancing on each person's head, and they were speaking in different languages, and they were understanding different languages. I wonder if you can imagine that chaotic and holy scene, kind of like a tent revival mixed with a tornado, mixed with a Pink Floyd concert. It was crazy. It was crazy. And the Spirit blew the doors off the place, and God changed everything. God changed everything. Just look at the before and after picture of the disciples. Before Pentecost, the followers of Jesus were dense, timid, bumbling fools who would run away at the first sign of trouble. After the day of Pentecost had come, they were fearless leaders who cast out demons and healed the sick and gladly went to jail in Jesus' name, singing God's praises until the walls of the jail down. 
You see, on Pentecost, there is a seismic shift. God's redemption of this world has moved from being exclusive to the person and work of Jesus Christ to now including that whole community that is His body, the church. Which means the people of God are given an increasingly important role in the salvation of God. Followers become leaders. Apprentices become masters. Students become teachers. Bystanders become healers and missionaries and preachers. In other words, the people of God have tremendous power. And yet, when the disciples of Jesus hear this, they have this incredible power. They react often in the same way. Who, me? <laughs> no, you, you don't mean me. I, I don't have any power. God, you must have called the wrong person. That's what Moses said, right, when God called him to confront Pharaoh. That's what Mary said when she was told by the angel that she would bear for the world a Savior. That's what we say, isn't it? Oh, who, me? Oh, no, I'm sorry. You must have the wrong person. You don't mean me. I'm not really cut out for that kind of work. You know, I'm not good at, at talking to people about Jesus. I'm not a leader. Now, I'll make a casserole for the church potluck, but that's as far as it goes, okay? That's my limit. I can't pray out loud in front of other people. I'm not brave enough to share my faith. I don't have any power. But is that really right? Are we all so puny? I want you to remember a couple of things this morning. You were made in the image of God. The spark of the divine resides in your inner being all the time, whether you are aware of it or not. And as if that weren't enough, at your baptism, you were raised to new life with Christ and you were given the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe we're not actually afraid of lacking something, but just the opposite. Author Marion Williamson puts it like this. She says, Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. We ask ourselves, who am I to be important or powerful? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God and your playing small does not serve the world. Dear children of God, you have been granted the most powerful force in the entire universe, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. In your baptism, you died with Christ. That's what's so significant about being laid back in the water. And I love baptism by immersion, because in baptism by immersion, we are laid back in the water and we die. We drown to sin, to the old life to death itself. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because we come back up out of the water and we are raised to new life with Jesus Christ. And you are born again. And you are given the power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, this is the power to change lives. This is the power to save a marriage that you thought was broken beyond repair. This is the power to recover from a divorce that you thought would be the end of you. This is the power to nurture a child. This is the power to listen to a friend. 
This is the power to teach. This is the power to heal. This is the power to cast out demons. This is the power to go on a mission trip. This is the power to make your entire life a mission for Jesus. We see this power at work in the story from Acts chapter 9. Peter and the other disciples had received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and now they were going about from place to place preaching the Gospel, healing the sick. They were finally fulfilling that call that Jesus had asked them. Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. And now they were doing it. And the story goes that they came to a place called Lydda. And there they met a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of that place saw what had happened. And they turned to the Lord. Now this man, Aeneas, was paralyzed. He'd been bedridden, the story says, for eight years. Eight years he was laying there. And Peter healed him. Now what's so extraordinary about this? What's so extraordinary is Peter was an ordinary person. Just like you. Just like me. The Spirit that is poured out on Pentecost then is the same Spirit that makes the power of Jesus accessible to the people of God to make something like this possible. Notice what Peter said. Peter said, Aeneas, get up. Jesus Christ heals you. Not I heal you. Jesus Christ heals you. You see, it's Jesus that does the hard work, isn't it? It's Jesus that does the healing. This is such a good reminder that this is not about us. This is not about you. This is not about me. It never has been. This is and always has been about Jesus. About what Jesus can do. And yet, in His great mercy, Jesus has chosen us to participate in this kind of work for God's kingdom. Just like He chose Peter to be an instrument of His healing. To be a messenger of His grace. And the way He accomplishes it is by the Spirit who is made alive inside of you. And look at the result of what Peter did. The story finishes with this brief conclusion. It's almost a throwaway comment, and if you don't look closely, you might miss it. All the residents of that place saw what had happened, and they turned to the Lord the end. Oh yeah, by the way, everyone got saved. <laughs> everyone got saved because they witnessed what Peter did by the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Everyone in that place came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see how amazing it is what Jesus can do by the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, I know this took place centuries ago. I know that. But it is my conviction that the Spirit of God is still alive in this place. I believe that God is doing a new thing at Timberlake Church. I believe that the Spirit of God who caused a miracle of speech and hearing, who healed a paralyzed man like Aeneas, who inspired ordinary men and women to change their community and the world, I believe that same Spirit is alive and well today. And that Spirit wants to fill this place. That Spirit wants to fill your heart and your life on this day. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to sit there with this explosive, life-changing, world-altering news and, and keep it all to yourself? Or are you going to use it? And are you going to share it? And are you going to let it change you 
so that you can help God change your community and the world. At one United Methodist Church in our Virginia conference, there is a man that I'll call Richard. Richard is a wonderfully generous and simple man, and he found this particular church because of the ministry they do with feeding their neighbors. Uh, Something like what we do here with our food pantry, Uh, this church fed hungry people, and Richard was hungry, and so he showed up. And over time, he shared his story with the people of that church. Richard has three adult children, but they don't really come around very much except when they need something from him. Richard used to drive a truck until he became too sick to be able to hold a full-time job. Richard is hard of hearing, which makes it difficult to communicate with him sometimes. And he's a little rough around the edges, you know what I mean? He, he's stubborn, he's opinionated, he's maybe a little gruff. And so because he's different from other people in these ways, he gets excluded a lot. He gets left out. This is a man whose society forgot but he found a place in that church. He started coming to the church because of the food ministry, but one day he showed up in worship, and an amazing thing happened. The people welcomed him, and they said, we're glad that you're here. And before too long, he was baptized right there in that church, and that, my friends, has made all the difference. His life has been transformed because of his participation in that church. And so when he gets sick, his friends from church go and visit him in the hospital. And when he needs help, his friends from church are there standing beside him. And he not only has received the help of the church, he has begun to give it. He is one of the most generous and hardest working people you'd like to know. And so he's at the church multiple times every week, helping out, doing a dozen different little things, working at the food ministry, cleaning up, Stacking chairs, Richard's life now has purpose. Richard's life now has meaning. Richard now has a family he can call his own, and it is the United Methodist Church. My friends, this is the power of God. This is the power of the Holy Spirit for you and for this world. Because on Pentecost, the believers are baptized not just with water, but with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God is poured out on people, incredible things happen. The winds of change blow through a community that needs healing. Fire that once faded now burns in the hearts of men and women. Tongues pour forth with speech, telling what God has done. The followers of Jesus are raised to a level they have never experienced before, and they accomplish things they never thought possible. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power to change lives, and you have received it. Now, are you just going to sit there? Or are you going to fish?